0: Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. At a time when
1: information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline
2: wherever you get your podcasts.
3: From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this Monday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. We'll begin with this. Upon news today from pharmaceutical company and Pfizer and its partner Bio, BioNTech regarding a COVID-19 vaccine, they say appears to be 90 percent effective. President-elect Joe Biden gave remarks about distributing the vaccine to the nation. We're going to get
0: states, cities and tribes the tests and the supplies they need. We're going to protect vulnerable populations who are at risk, most at risk from this virus, older Americans and those with pre-existing conditions. We're going to address the health and economic disparities that mean this virus is hitting the black, Latino, Asian American, Pacific Islanders, Native American communities harder than white communities. Focusing on these communities is one of our priorities,
4: not an afterthought.
3: Now, the Associated Press called the presidential race on Saturday for the Biden-Harris ticket, but Georgia is still counting votes. And coming up in just a moment, we'll get the latest from the Secretary of State's office. Also, this hour, we'll take a look at is Georgia really turning blue? Well, We'll get thoughts from some leading Republicans in the state Also this hour, we'll talk about local reaction and look ahead to Georgia's two remaining U.S. Senate races, which are headed for a runoff election in January. Now back to that big news from Pfizer and its clinical trial with the COVID-19 vaccine. Again, the company says it's 90 percent effective. It's a clinical trial that tested the vaccine on more than 40,000 folks. Now, according to the study, 40% of the volunteers were from, quote, diverse backgrounds. Still, this study is not enough for Pfizer to seek permission to distribute the vaccine from the FDA. The FDA requires two months of follow-up data from volunteers. And the data will be available toward the end of November, according to Pfizer. Now, this comes as the U.S. nears 10 million confirmed cases on Sunday. For the fifth day in a row, more than 100,000 New coronavirus cases are reported. That's according to Johns Hopkins University. Forty-two states are reporting at least a 10% rise in cases. Georgia is among them. The number of COVID-19 cases in the state has been growing slowly over the past two weeks. But here's something. Most of that growth is in northwest counties. Whitfield County reported 764 cases in the past two weeks along. Now, we're going to talk more about that. As for the total number of confirmed cases here in Georgia, as of this broadcast, here we go, it's 373,078. The number of hospitalizations, well, that number is 32,468. And of those, 6,095 are ICU admissions. And since the state began recording deaths, 8,194 since March. As always, we get this information from the Georgia Department of Public Health. But now we want to shift for the latest on the ballot counting right here in Georgia. Joining me now to discuss all of this is WABE reporter Moffat Moffitt, was right now, I think he stepped away from attending a press How's conference. How are you? You're doing pretty good, uh, Emil. I was just about to say you're you're stepping away from a press conference with the Secretary of State's office. I appreciate it.
2: No problem. In fact, it just wrapped up just a few moments ago, so I so got to see all of it, and now can bring you the very latest.
3: Well, I want to begin here because we did pull a cut from the, the briefing with Gabriel Sterling. Here's what he said.
2: But every election, as I've said, I think every day at this podium is imperfect. The issue now is with margins, we are, we are the winner for the closest in the country at 0.2%. When the margins are this tight, every little thing matters. So this office will thoroughly investigate And we will work to find ways. We know the system counted properly. We know the ballots that were there were counted properly and correctly. We know that. We're going to have an audit to prove it. And it looks like more than likely the president will ask for a recount to reaffirm that.
3: So, Emil, here's what we know. All the precincts have reported, but the counting still continues. Do we know what counties that we're all waiting on to have their votes in?
2: Yes, there's about 50 counties who have certified their elections. 50 out of the 159 counties have certified their results. The rest are still waiting to be certified. And from what we understand, there are either provisional or some overseas ballots that are still being counted in some counties. Um, So about a third uh, of counties have uh, reported their official certified results. We're waiting on the rest. Probably less than 10,000 or so is the latest number we've gotten, but they're expecting in uh, either today or tomorrow for the rest of those ballots to be uh, to be counted.
3: And right now, that lead for Joe Biden over President Donald Trump is still, is that still in a 10,000, 11,000 uh, vote margin here?
2: Yes, 10,000 is the latest, um, the latest margin that we've had. Uh, apparently, there's uh, just about to be an update uh, to the system, but they didn't expect it to change that much of uh, the margin right now.
3: And Emil, to your knowledge, did anyone from the Secretary of State's office talk about what the process here for President Trump in order to ask for a recount? Does the vote have to be certified first and then the recount, or can he ask for an official recount before they even finish?
2: It has to be certified first. The deadline for counties to certify their elections is this Friday. The deadline for the state to certify the election is on the 20th, so a week from Friday. What they're trying to get is for counties to certify as soon as they can. That way, the state can certify. And once that certification is done, then, the can, then either candidate, uh, in this case, it would probably be the losing candidate, would request a recount, and that's when the recount would happen.
3: Does this process hold up the process for folks who already want to submit their request for absentee? Uh, ballots for the runoff and for the election in January does this impact that at all do you know
2: it does not you can you can go on right now and request an absentee ballot um, you can do that in a number of ways through uh, through a portal you can do it through uh, through the mail um, uh, so so there are a number of ways to go ahead and request your absentee ballot for that that uh, January 5th uh, runoff as far as the two Senate races go.
3: And also in DeKalb County, voters can cast their ballots, uh, starting today for that special election runoff for the remainder of the late Congressman John Lewis's term. You're looking at the, someone, the winner may serve for what, less than 40 days, something like that.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it'll just be through the, you know, through the end of this calendar year, maybe a couple of days into January, but, uh, but that is, uh, it's, it's a formality, but those candidates, of course, are speaking to the importance of having somebody in that, in that fifth district spot um, for as little as it takes just to make sure that someone is there to, to represent that district.
3: And, Emil, before I let you go, uh, did election, election officials talk about how they're preparing for the two Senate races for those two in the election runoff, for the runoffs up in January?
2: It's going to be a quick turnaround, um, but once they get the, the results of this election certified, they'll start working on the ballot. Um, and then we should start seeing uh, early voting for uh, for that January 5th race uh, in, in mid-December at the three weeks, the early voting period. Mm-hmm. So um, there's not going to be much sleep for uh, for elections officials, both at the state and the county levels, because uh, Georgia continues to be just a uh, just a hotbed of political activity and, and, and races here uh, in the next couple weeks.
3: And, Emil, did anyone from the Secretary of State's office give any indication that they might believe what the president believes, that there was some type of nefarious or, or fraudulent election happenings that, that were taking place?
2: They wouldn't directly comment on, on what the president was saying, but they've continually said throughout the last week that they will investigate any complaint or any report they get about uh, any sort of malicious activity. Uh, what they have said in the past, what they kind of reiterated today was that there is there has been no evidence of widespread irregularity or fraud. But they will continue to accept any uh, report or complain about it and investigate it to the fullest extent of the law. There was one anecdote that, the, that was shared today by Gabe Sterling uh, that they had gotten a report of some uh, ballots in a dumpster in Spalding County. They sent investigators down there. They discovered the only uh, thing in that dumpster were the security envelopes for some hmm. ballots, which of course are discarded through the process, so it was not ballots themselves. But that's the type of report that they get, and they fully investigate it. Um, but, but as Gabe Sterling said, um, you may have you know some instances of illegal activity, but as far as widespread th- uh, things, they're not seeing any right now.
3: WABE's Emil Moffat with the latest regarding Georgia and still counting votes. Emil, as always, we appreciate you taking the time. Good reporting. Thank you. Thank you, Rose. This is Closer Look. We're back in a moment.
0: Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org.
3: chaos <laughs> it's just everything that happened from politics to just the uh, coronavirus to society it's just nobody expected it everything happened at the same time nobody was prepared for anything it was just crazy
1: revelation because it revealed a lot of things um everybody was put in the same situation and had to deal with a lot of things it revealed a lot of things about how our government was caring for us um just a lot of things were revealed this year
3: and summing up the year so far voices from around the area closer look continues now here on 90.1 wabe atlanta's choice for npr i'm rose Scott. As you heard early in the program, Georgia still counts, and the Secretary of State's office said they want to be fair and they want to be thorough, so we wait as they continue to count. But what is or rather what should the Georgia Republicans do to help the party keep those Senate seats? We're going to talk about that in a moment as well. And here's another question. Is Georgia finally a blue state? And if so, now what for the Georgia GOP? we joining the program now to offer insight and analysis. She's been joining me the last few weeks. Going to have to send her a mug, Julianne Thompson, president of the Atlanta-based MSN Strategies and longtime political analyst, as well as Jake Evans, Atlanta-based attorney and chair of the Republican National Lawyers Association's georgia chapter welcome to you both thank you for having us let's right. I get to talk to you again jake let's begin here julianne the counting continues here in georgia president trump has said he is going to the campaign said they are going to ask for a recount probably in this state and some other states through your lens is that necessary
1: well i mean georgia is most certainly the closest election in the entire country And given the final numbers, whatever those are going to be, um, I'm sure it's going to continue to be the closest in the country. So I believe if the shoe were on the other foot, the other campaign would want to recount as well. So I most certainly do expect that to happen. The secretary of state's office has been extremely transparent throughout the entire process with all of the press conferences throughout the day, ever since election day, talking about uh, the actual ballot counting. And so I, I think that the recount will Will happen and I think it'll go smoothly. And uh, one thing I wanted to say was regarding paper ballots the fact that we have the new law uh, where we have to have the paper ballot chasers and not just the digital voting, Mm
3: -hmm.
1: ballots allow for an auditable system. So the fact that we will have an audit on this election and all of the elections that occurred in the state of Georgia is certainly something um, that has been a long time coming in our state. So I think that that is going to make things a lot easier. And, um, and yes, most definitely I do. I do think that a recount is coming. Uh,
3: Jake, what about you? A recount coming? Is it necessary?
0: Uh, Yes, I think it absolutely is. I agree with Julianne. I mean, ensuring we have free uh, and properly done elections is, is not a partisan issue. I mean, if we think back, Uh, to 2018. Stacey Abrams still has not conceded to this day. Uh, Hillary Clinton made accusations about Russian interference which created a multi-year long investigation Uh, and so ensuring that we can improve the process and ensuring that voters and the the public generally has confidence in the process is utmost importance uh, for a flourishing democracy and I think that's going to go forward. I think the Secretary of State's office has done uh, a very good job I agree that they've been very transparent, and it's a very hard job. Mm -hmm. Uh, But all investigations about voter fraud need to go forward, uh, and all legal rights uh, and remedies that President Trump and his campaign have should be pursued, and they will evaluate it when all of those are completed.
3: Well, Jake, let me stay with you. So asking for a recount may seem fair and well within the president's right, but his allegations, and the president's even saying this last Thursday evening, and I'm quoting him here, This is a case where they're trying to steal an election, they're trying to rig an election, and we can't let that happen, close quote. Now, Jake, that's a pretty heavy charge, and even those within your party are criticizing the president. To ask for a recount, one thing, but to make an allegation that the Democrats are trying to steal an an, an election, what do you make of that?
0: Well, I, I think, you know, Pr- President Trump is President Trump. He's going to make uh, very forceful statements, and he always has. I think the Trump campaign is going to investigate the issues fully. Now, is this uh, forceful?
3: Think, but, is this a forceful comment, or is this a comment that's actually just not true? Come on, Jake.
0: Well, I, I be, you know, I, I, I'm an election lawyer. It takes time to evaluate and prove fraud. Um, I can't say that there is any fraud because I'm not personally investigating it uh trump is going to go forward with that investigation uh and and he will have an opportunity through the court system uh to make that proof and and when he does that a judge will properly weigh and consider the evidence and make a decision but what do
3: you think you are an attorney (laughs) you are an attorney (laughs) jake and you're a very good attorney from what everybody tells me what evidence would you need what if you were advising the president what would you say mr mr president what evidence are you looking for what what Evidence, do you think you have other than just yeah. I think?
0: Yeah, well, well, he, I'm sure they will evaluate all of the certified voter documents um, and they will determine whether the, the most fraud happens in every election. And it,
4: the, it as it does,
0: Sterling, it, yeah, the, the real question is going to be whether the fraud is sufficient to cast in doubt the result of the election. And so the margin right now is 10,000. Uh, So President Trump, if he tried to overturn the result here in Georgia, would have to prove illegal or wrongly rejected or irregular votes that exceeded 10,000.
3: Julianne, let me ask you this again. Fair to ask for a recount, but to make an allegation that the Democrats are trying to steal an election, trying to rig an election, that is a heavy charge. And even those within your party criticizing the president, your take on that.
1: Well, the president does not ask Jake and I for his approval with the way he <laughs> thought. Uh, that being said, I agree with Jake with the fact that um, there is some bit of probably fraudulent activities going on in every election, in every state around the country, uh, because elections, as Gabe said on the clip that you played a few minutes ago, as Gabe said, elections are imperfect and any type of irregularities. I think I think that um, myself personally, speaking for myself, I would not accuse anyone personally of fraud. I can say that there are reports of irregularities, and I believe that those irregularities need to be thoroughly investigated, which the Secretary of State's office mm-hmm. has committed themselves to doing, which they should do. And uh, the county boards of elections around the state of Georgia as well are committed to doing the same. So I think we just have to wait and allow the process to have its time to play out.
3: The president's speech I'm quoting here, uh, Republican Senator Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania, quote, the president's speech last night, talking about the other night, was very disturbing to me because he made very, very serious allegations without any evidence to support it. So even within your your Republican party if there are folks who think that maybe the president is stretching that maybe he should accept the the votes and move on after everything is 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 is, is, is tallied up and get to the business of transition if that's you know if that's going to be the, the case that Joe Biden and and the president elect Biden is going to be the next president what kind of message though do you think this sends to his base who hang on his every word I mean, can you understand folks who say these allegations, you know, from the president without any merit and his support base who hang on his every word are not going to accept this and it could cause problems? What's your re- re- reaction to that?
1: Well, I would go back to a point that Jake made a little bit earlier where he talked about uh, the fact that Stacey Abrams still believes that she won the governor's election in the state of Georgia. I still go back to the fact that Hillary Clinton claimed, you know, mass unfairness with regard to that election as well and truly believe that she should have been president of the United States. So um, this particular line of, you know, not accepting immediately the results of the election is not unprecedented mm-hmm. um, with regard to, future of the republican party and how that plays out with our senate races we most certainly in the state of georgia do need to be focusing on our two senate races this is going to determine the balance of the senate and who who has the power in the united states senate when it comes to approving judiciary when it comes to approving cabinet positions and other very very important and crucial decisions for the future of our country so I think a focus on the reelection of Senator Perdue and the election of, the, of our appointed Senator Kelly Loeffler um, is most certainly something that we in the state of Georgia need to be focusing on um, just as soon as we get through this recount and in at the same time as doing the recount. I mean, it, it is that important. It is.
3: Okay, now Jake, you and Julianne have both brought up 2018 and the allegations of voter suppression from Stacey Abrams and Fair Fight and other organizations. The difference was here is that there was a, it, it, there was evidence to at least be heard or determined by the courts because there were folks, thousands of folks, who were deleted from voter rolls. That, according to the courts, was enough evidence to at least hear the arguments. This is something different because there is no evidence from the Trump campaign. Can you understand that argument? That if you at least okay. want, if, if the courts want to hear this, they have to have evidence. That's right. It, and it takes time.
0: I mean, it, remember, if you make an open records request in Fulton County right now and you say, I want all of your absentee ballot envelopes, which are going to have the signatures determine whether the signatures verify one another. It's not going to happen overnight, not with how busy they are. Uh, so taking proving fraud is a very, very high standard. Uh, also getting the documents that are needed to prove fraud is gonna take time. Uh, So both of those instances are are very different than back in 2018. Mm -hmm. Uh, The the reality is that I have full confidence that uh, if the courts go through the system, if President Trump is ultimately not successful, if and when that point arises, I think he will uh, rightly concede, but we're not at that point. And it's important to remember what makes a democracy so powerful is you have both sides criticizing the system, criticizing each other, which enables the system to get better every year. If we just had one side, and it didn't matter which side that it was, whether it be Democrat or Republican, 100% dictating the way the system is going to be, it wouldn't make the system better. Um, So we will see what happens. I mean, President Trump has full legal rights to pursue it. He's going to have an opportunity to collect the evidence that he needs, and he'll have an opportunity to prove it, and the judge will make the decision. Uh, But right now, it's very hard to speculate. And I don't think it's fair for either side to just say, hey, you don't have the evidence right now to prove your case, when some cases actually take years to prove
3: Well, one might argue that Perhaps Stacey Abrams and the fair fight. Maybe they should have been given more opportunity to prove their. You got to be fair about this, Jake and Julianne. You know, I'm feisty, but fair. (laughs) Y'all know that. Uh, Jake, let's talk about Georgia for a moment, because, yes, Georgia definitely was a battleground state this election. But has it truly turned blue or is turning blue? Were you surprised at this margin as it appears now? That President-elect Joe Biden has over President Donald Trump. Are you? Do you have concerns about this state right
0: now? Well, well Georgia is a changing state. Um, I think that Georgia has been a changing state for a long period of time. Uh, Metro Atlanta is is the area, in my opinion, that the Republicans need to bring home. Uh, there was a lot of very optimistic signs in in the election on November 3rd. Mm -hmm. Uh, First of all, overall, I think Republicans did very well. They're going to pick up between 10 and 13 in the U.S. House. Uh, They're likely going to hold the U.S. Senate, and it all hinges on here in Georgia. Um, And they maintained all state legislators where they had a majority, and they also picked up New Hampshire, which is vitally important as we enter redistricting next year. Uh, So in no way did we have the blue wave and in no way did we have a repudiation of the Republican message. Uh, Metro Atlanta voters undoubtedly have issue with Donald Trump.
3: Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: Donald Trump could have been more polished in in his delivery of his message. Uh, He could have been more disciplined. And I think that creates a tremendous amount of opportunity uh, for Republicans. Donald Trump did do well uh, with African-American males. He did well with Hispanics. And so that's a very optimistic message. But to answer your question, Georgia's changing. And I think, and I've said for, for years that Republicans have to continue to refine their message to focus on Metro Atlanta, because as Metro Atlanta continues to grow uh, in population and power, uh, it's gonna ultimately control the state.
3: Jake, you have said that on this program a number of times, you've also said that perhaps the Republican Party needs to look at some of its, long, some of its longstanding standing. Stances on some issues. I will get to that in just a moment. But I want to give Julianne an opportunity to answer this question, because Julianne, when you're on the last when you were on last time with Fred Hicks, a Democratic strategist, and he commented that perhaps this time, uh, maybe some Georgia Republicans may have voted for Biden and then Republican on the rest of the ticket. And he called them Biden Republicans and you didn't get a chance to respond to that. So I want to get you an opportunity now to, to respond to that.
1: Well, I don't necessarily think that they're Biden Republicans as much as I think, um, I agree with Jake that there were a lot of people in the Metro Atlanta area that were not crazy about the president. And I do believe that there were some ballots where people voted a straight Republican ticket and then crossed over in the presidential election. Now, there may be people that don't wanna hear that, but, but I do believe that that happened. And I believe it probably happened mostly in the metropolitan Atlanta area Back in 2018, I said that I believed that that was the last year that Georgia Republicans could come, could um, it could be able to just depend on the rural vote mm-hmm. to win the election. Um, I, I think that we do have to refine our message. I think that we do have to be in this for the long game and we do have to understand several things. We have to understand number one, that we don't have to compromise our values and our principles in order to win um, election and in order to get people to understand uh, what we stand for as Republicans and how that would relate to their lives and better their lives. But what we do need to do is we need to not only refine our message, but we need to make sure that we're sending the right messengers out there. Um, Jake doesn't need to argue about, you know, issues concerning women. I don't need to argue out there on behalf of the Republican Party about issues concerning the African-American voter. Mm -hmm. We need to make sure that our message is not only refined, but that we have the right messengers. And I think that that is something extremely important um, going forward.
3: According to some of the exit polling, and I think even before this program came on air on Here and Now, there was a a political strategist that talked about what he observed was a lot of non-white votes, and white votes moving to the middle. Is that encouraging for you all at all? Particularly Uh, for non-whites that might have voted Democratic in the past. Jake?
0: Well, I would say what's interesting about this election is I think what ultimately cost Trump was actually white-educated votes, white-educated votes in the suburban cities Traditionally, I mean, if you go back to the 6th District, the 6th District was uh, occupied by Newt Gingrich, then Tom Price. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was a district that was double-digit R. Now, there is no doubt about the fact uh, that district has changed. We're getting more transplants in, but it has not changed from 15, 14, 10-plus for Price to now we're looking at 5-plus for uh, Lucy McBath. I mean, that's a 20-point swing in less than a 10-year period. And so Republicans undoubtedly have to focus on that area. Now, I think that um, if you look at what the interesting thing with Trump was, if his record is great. I mean, if you look at what he did with, with minorities, if you look at the unemployment rate, if you look at what he did with foreign relations and safety, he did very, very well. Uh, and so for the people that could see fat past the rough edge and just look at the results. I think he grew the tent. He grew the tent again with Hispanics uh, that are terrified of socialism. He grew the tent with African-American males who are very focused on entrepreneurship. So I think there's a tremendous amount of opportunity because uh, the policies and the results will be there in the future of the Republican party, whether Trump is a part of it or not. Uh, and I think continuing to build on that is gonna create a lot of momentum going into 2022.
3: Well, I want to bring in Julianne back in for a moment because this is a conversation that we had not too long ago on this program. You, Julianne, you talked about the suburbs and then since we're talking about the 6th congressional district that Jake brought up, which includes it's the northern suburbs of of Atlanta, includes a little bit of a Cobb and in, in northern Fulton County, and that is a district that Lucy McBath has now she represents. Um this is the demographic of of women of women suburban women voters, Julianne that you talked about. And you said yeah, diversity is is part of the issue here but that that 6th congressional district is still heavily white and it's just maybe under 15% black maybe I'm guessing here 13% Hispanic and then 11% Asian according to the latest census so what do you make then for this district going for Lucy McBath if this is an area as Jake just said y'all need to focus on to get back it's now what? gone, it's now gone for, for Lucy a Democrat it
1: twice does. It, yes, it has. And um, I I go back to what I said on your show previously, that I do believe suburban women are deciding these elections. I believe that they decided the election in the sixth congressional district. And just because a district might be, um, you know, Predominantly white doesn't mean that that's the way that they're going to vote. I mean, I, I think that. But you is. all
3: have, but you all have, the Republicans have banked on that though for so many years, Julianne. Well, I think
1: that, that is why Donald Trump was successful with African American males and with the Latino vote and with, Asian, with the Asian American vote, which we haven't mentioned yet. Mm. I think that's why he was successful with those different various groups that the republican party had discounted and the republican party had been afraid to approach in the past because they thought that they couldn't win those votes he went to places where the republican party was afraid to go to and that's why i believe he was successful um, with those various demographics that do not necessarily and traditionally Uh, vote Republican, but I don't think that we can go forward in any election in the future just doing things the way that we've done them the same old way Mm -hmm. um, Republican party. I mean, we have consultants telling us that it's all about the money. Yes, money is the lifeblood of a campaign. That is true. But what the Democrats did is they went back to grassroots mobilization. And I've said for many years that the Republican Party was getting away from grassroots mobilization and just trending toward listen to the consultants, put in the money, and it's just all gonna pan out just fine. And then election after election, we have to do reflections where we sit back and we listen to the same consultants tell us why the election got screwed up when many times they're the ones that mess things up in the first place because we're not concentrating on grassroots mobilization and coalition building among these various groups that we need to be reaching out to.
3: So for the Republicans here in Georgia and in the national, if, if nationally they're going to come in and give some support, Julianne, are you, if you could be advising, would you say, look, that old strategy for these U.S. Senate races then, the, the runoff, would you recommend then that they get back to this grassroots way of doing this? Is there enough time to do that?
1: Well, there absolutely is. I mean, we have plenty of time between now and January 5th to mobilize the troops. Republicans are traditionally better at runoffs and traditionally better at special elections. Um, but because usually people in the Republican Party are more passionate to get out at odd times to do to vote. Um, that being said, all eyes are going to be on Georgia. Probably a billion dollars is going to be spent by the Democratic Party here in Georgia to try to take those two seats. A
3: billion dollars, Julianne. Come on now. That's what I
1: heard. That's what I <laughs> heard. Julianne, you, <laughs> who,
3: who told you that?
1: i'm serious (laughs) i'm actually i'm actually serious and i do believe that a billion Um,
3: dollars a billion julianne come on now
1: i do believe that i truly do this is an extremely important election when it comes to the power of who holds the senate that is going to be i mean think about it if if the unthinkable for republicans happen and Donald Trump does not hold on to the presidency, and Joe Biden is president of the United States, then if Republicans maintain control of the Senate, then Mitch McConnell becomes the most influential and powerful Republican in Washington, DC. So this this is absolutely crucial for Republicans to hold on to these two seats. So I believe that the Republican Party is gonna go all in with grassroots mobilization and coalition building, and if they're not thinking in that direction now, which I believe they are, they should
3: be. Jake, let me ask you this: Do you think an endorsement from President Trump at this time even could carry weight now for the for for the U.S. Senate races that are headed to this runoff? If you are no, but- Senator Purdue or Senator Leffler, do you still want to put that message out there with President mm-hmm. Trump being at the core of your campaign? That.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, well, well both Purdue and Leftler are, are stuck between a rock and a hard place because the base of the GOP in Georgia is still via Trump. I mean, Trump, his base and ardent supporters are going to love him through thick and thin. They're going to, any Republican that doesn't going to come out and say he was robbed of an election is not going to have fought hard enough for Donald Trump. Uh, but the reality is in Metro Atlanta, uh, Donald Trump, did not bode well for just about any candidate. And I I think there was a number of candidates in the State House and State Senate, the Republicans had that were great candidates Um, and there were much better candidates than their Democratic opposition, uh, but some people voted D all the way down. Um, So, They still have to have Trump's support um, and and support from his ardent ardent supporters, and they have to make sure that people have faith and confidence in the system because what we don't want is any voter, Republican or Democrat, to feel like their vote doesn't count because the system was not properly done. And that is why it is so important that we go through the process, that that we go through the process of investigating fraud, making sure if it did happen, it's pursued via the judicial system, and if it didn't happen, that we have an affirmative confirmation that it in fact did not.
3: You think that an outcome, whatever the outcome is going to be, if the Trump campaign is going to try to get this into the courts, you think that will be a factor in, in where the folks will vote for Leffler and Purdue? you really think that that's a, well, a rallying cry here? I, I think some people they want everyone, and and again, this is,
0: it goes both ways. I mean, we we want to ensure that the system is properly done and that people have faith and confidence in the system. At the end of the day, I think Republicans are well positioned for January 5th. Uh, The Democrats are not going to have their big bad Darth Vader at the top of the ticket to drive up turnout, which is Donald Trump. Um, I think Georgia is still a lean right state. I mean, it's lean right. It's not hard right. Uh, and, and I think the Republican Party, I think the Republican Party's had wake up calls for, for multiple elections, but I think this is about as strong of a wake up call as you're gonna get. We have to refine the message for Metro Atlanta um, and appeal to white suburban women and not just white, but suburban women to make sure we grow that tent, uh, bring them back home. And I think Republican, will govern the state of georgia for a long period of time once we're able to do that
3: now jake you know dark vader used to be a jedi (laughs) just letting you know as we wrap up you heard folks we played some sounds there folks talking a closer look this weekend they spoke about the need to come together and unity especially in washington dc regardless of what side you sit on here jake i'll let you take this first Can this happen? You mentioned, Julianne mentioned Mitch McConnell being the most, all things considered, what's happening now, that Mitch McConnell will be the most influential Republican. Okay, the country has been through four years of this divisiveness. How do you propose? Do you are you optimistic that there will be some coming together or is it just it's going to be another same as the four years we've been through?
0: Well, it's very hard to predict. I mean, the mass media, in my opinion, has just created this partisan tribalism where both sides are constantly jockeying and fighting for wins and losses, wins and losses. And instead of us focusing on unifying wins for the country, we're focusing on wins for Republicans or wins for Democrats. Um, In large part, it's gonna depend on Biden. I mean I think the Biden administration my biggest concern is whether the Biden administration is going to fight for the majority of Americans and not fight for the Hollywood elites uh, that many many Republicans believe and I, many included have hijacked the Democratic Party. We will know very early on depending on Biden's appointments if we have Elizabeth Warren uh, as Treasury Secretary, I'm going to have a lot of concerns about any possibility of us working together. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the reality is the President of the United States co- is going to control, in large part, what's going to be coming through a democratically controlled house. and well, isn't that controlled- what President
3: Trump did? Didn't President... Didn't President Trump get everything that he wanted through the Senate? I mean, let's be fair, about Jake.
0: <laughs> well, it's it will depend. I think it's going to large part depend. But I I think Biden and McConnell have a decent relationship. Mm-hmm. I really do, and I think there is real possibility that they work together. And and me as much as anybody is certainly hopeful that that happens.
3: Julianne, what about you? Everybody gonna hug it out in D.C. when we get when we get through this or what?
1: I don't know if they're gonna hug it out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Mitch McConnell is very pragmatic. He is shrewd, he is strategic, he knows the rules and he knows procedure and he is going if if he is fortunate enough to be majority leader again, he will be a formidable one. There's absolutely no doubt about that. But I also believe that he is someone that does want to work with people. Um, Listen, America is divided, there's no doubt about that. This was not a blow up for Democrats like the media predicted it to be and like the pollsters predicted it to be. America is divided and they sent a clear message um, with this very close election. And that is that I do believe that the American people want Washington, uh, they want Congress, they want the executive branch and they want everyone to work together. And it's about doing the job of working for the American people. And I do believe that that is the message that was sent with this election.
3: And y'all stop blaming the media, both sides. Julianne Thompson, president of the Atlanta <laughs> Not base. You, though, yes. <laughs> Not you, <You're> the Rose. Yes. you. are the exception. <laughs> Julianne Thompson, president of the Atlanta-based MSN Strategies and longtime political analyst and contributor to WABE, What's a Closer Look? And Jake Evans, Atlanta-based attorney and chair of the Republican National Lawyers Association, Georgia Chapter. Thank you both for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE. This is Atlanta's Choice for NPR. As always, I'm Rose Scott. You know, we just talked about Georgia Senate races now headed to a runoff. And we talked about what the Republicans probably should or need to do or, you know, might do. Well, now we turn to Emory University Bernard Fraga, who's an associate professor of political science at Emory University and author of the book, The Turnout Gap, Race, Ethnicity and Political Inequality in a Diversifying America. Professor, you're back with us and I appreciate it. Thanks for taking the time.
4: Thank you for having me.
3: Let's, before we get to the runoff elections in, in a moment, but I want to get your thoughts on President Trump asking for a recount, but also asking for a recount based on his belief that there was some type of fraud involved or stealing of an election and what that, through your lens, how that, what that message sends not only to his base but just to a lot of folks who are wanting to somehow get back to some sense of normalcy here.
4: So first things first, there is no evidence of systematic voter fraud in United States elections. There is no evidence of systematic voter fraud in U.S. elections. And when we think about fraud, it's very important to clarify the difference between you know, errors in election administration, someone being sent the wrong ballot, all these other things, versus voters intentionally trying to do something illegal to manipulate election outcomes. That is fraud, voter manipulation. Try and impact election outcomes, and that's where we see no evidence. So, you know, if we start defining fraud as well, you know, they counted wrong at first, but then they got it wrong right the second time. I know, for example, that there were issues with, um, you know, they had to do a re-canvas in Fulton County. Mm-hmm. You know, if we're going to call that fraud. Sure, those little things happen, but there's nothing on a systematic, wide scale that led to the election of Joe Biden or led to the election of Donald Trump. Quite frankly, in 2016, that's that's not the way our elections are run. And honestly, it's a it's a disservice to our Excellent election officials on both sides of the aisle who have a really tough job in trying to administer elections given the political environment.
3: And now we turn to the Senate races and something that you have always researched, which is the turnout and getting folks back out to the polls. Now, we know that an overwhelming percentage of Democrats participate in early voting, and that includes by, by mail. We know the numbers won't be that high, obviously, for the runoff. But with this still being the pandemic, this major public health crisis, do you expect folks will still maybe turn to voting by mail or at least maybe in early person voting? And does that favor the Democrats over the Republicans for these two Senate runoff races?
4: Well, I think one of the lessons we learned from this election is that, you know, all the projections about early voting really heavily favoring the Democrats. Um, you know, that's true for mail-in voting, perhaps, in a few states. But mm-hmm. in terms of early in person, the Republicans came out early as well. It's one reason why there were so few people voting and there were no lines on election day here in Georgia um, or very few lines anyway. You know, so I think that you know, it's gonna be you know, up to election administrators like we just talked about in terms of how they're running this. If they're telling voters, look, get your absentee ballot applications in, if they're making early voting really widely accessible, if people are available to work the polls. I mean, that's really what matters. I think people are gonna be interested. And I know you had someone on just a minute ago saying a billion dollars are gonna be spent this election, I mean, I think that's really possible. I think that both A billion dollars? A billion dollars. From one really party? So. No, for both parties oh, combined, okay. right? I think that, you know, both parties combined, which would be, a, I mean, I think the most expensive Senate election too, right? Um, but Senate elections we've seen, you know, in history. So, I mean, I think we have to keep that in mind that there's going to be so much attention paid to Georgia that voters are going to be enthusiastic in a way that is different from even the 2018 runoff election for Secretary of State. Just think how
3: much- Money like that, how that could help to maybe help food insecure pockets throughout the state. That's just my opinion. (laughs) Professor, let me ask you this, because it is projected that Trump experienced an increase in support from black men, uh, very slightly increased from black women and even higher within the Latino community.
4: Uh, Does this favor Georgia, Georgia's Republican senators at all, you think? Well, you know, so I was just looking at the vote counts. And as I stand right now, actually, uh, you know, Purdue has more votes uh, than Donald Trump does in the state. So yeah, there was a lot of ticket splitting. There were a lot of people who were willing to vote for Republicans, either in the special or in the regular Senate election, that didn't vote for President Trump. Now, I think when you talk about Trump's success with Um, you know, with with people of color, with voters of color, especially Hispanic voters in places like Florida and Texas, one of the lessons we saw was that they were on the ground, despite the pandemic, they were on the ground. Republicans were, not the president himself in those areas, although I think he did campaign some in Miami, uh, definitely in Florida, but the Republican Party was holding in-person events and the Democrats just were not willing to do that Mm -hmm. for good reason because of the pandemic and because of what Democrats were feeling about the pandemic, especially during the summer and in the fall. But I think that's a big open question right now is are we going to see on the ground GOTV efforts by Democrats, I expect them from Republicans, but by Democrats in the Metro Atlanta area, are we gonna see more celebrities coming through not for a drive-in rally, but actually a kind of meet and greet like what we saw in Mm -hmm. Gwinnett um, with the Senate election? We'll see, but I think that's a big question. Is a rallying cry,
3: whether it's from either side here, that look, the control of the US Senate is at stake here. Is that enough? Or if you are Leffler and Purdue, do you still want to use the Donald Trump factor to, gener- to not only mobil- mobilize your base, but to get them to actually get out and vote for you? Is that
4: enough or do you put one over the other? You know, I think given where we're at right now, it's a really interesting and a good question, right? Because Trump has not conceded the race. Mm-hmm. Um, and keep in mind, Hillary Clinton conceded, you know, the next day. Right, despite you know, her complaining about certain elements of the way the election was run, she conceded the next day. So I think for a lot of Trump supporters, they're not over this yet. They still think he could win. And I think that makes it more difficult for Leflow or Purdue to make the case that they need to be there to, as kind of a check on uh, you know, President-elect Biden. I think at the end of the day, you know, President-elect Biden will be President Biden. And hopefully you know, by January, this will all be resolved. I mean, certainly by January. So I think voters will know going in that this is the only chance that Republicans really have to be. I mean, you know, they will still be able to do it to some degree, but to be a very serious impediment to President Biden's agenda. And that will bring out Republicans and convince them that, you know, they need to make sure they rally. I want to ask the same question of you that I asked
3: of my my previous guest, which is, you know, the data is revealing that, look, there were a lot of non-white voters and a lot of white voters that are moving to the middle here. And depending on which side you ask and depending on what, how they feel that day,
4: that could be either good or bad. How do you view that? Well, I think we have to separate, you know, people moving, changing their positions versus new people entering the electorate. And there's two groups, right? People moving into the state. Um, we know that there's been a, you know, big jump in the population of metro Atlanta. And it's not just you know, people having more babies, although that's part of it too, right? Mm-hmm. But, and, you know, it's people coming from out of state in. And many have, you know, different political views in the population that was here before. That's certainly true, right? You also see demographic changes going on as well. So I think we have to, you know, be careful in attributing and thinking about how much of this is due to people actually changing their minds. Some of that maybe, you know, for President Trump, but I think less when it comes to the Senate races, right? Mm-hmm. I think people generally voted their party and have stuck with it um, versus, you know, new people coming into the electorate. And remember, there's a new voter registration deadline for mm-hmm. the runoff election too. So people who are turning 18 between, you know, November, between November 3rd and December 7th, um, are going to be able to register to vote, right? Uh, and that's important to keep in mind as well. Do you think that that demographic, that young, that new young group, that could be a factor here in Georgia? Well, you know, again, one of the lessons we see is that the, the young population is not as Democratic-leaning uh, as we think, mm-hmm. right? There's a number of young Republicans who are going to be aging into the electorate as well. We've got to keep that in mind. Uh, But no, in general, yeah, on balance, they're going to be more heavily Democratic leaning. And again, it's up to, you know, the nonprofit groups that are out there and the campaigns to make sure that their supporters get registered. Uh, You know, this is still a state with Republican leadership, you know, at the top, right, the governor's office, the secretary of state's office. So there are still Republicans here in Georgia, even though it looks blue on the map and people don't remember that. And I think... You know, the Senate election really hinges on how well the campaigns are going to do in getting their supporters out.
3: So are you one of those people that will, for now, not really go ahead and give Georgia this blue state recognition? Will it take a few more election cycles to really believe that Georgia has turned blue for some folks? Oh, it's
4: a purple state. I mean, there's no question that it's, it's now a purple state. We saw that after 2018, people thought maybe that's a fluke, it's a one-off. It's because Abrams was at the top of the ticket. And organization was able to mobilize so well. I think now we see it's very clear that that Georgia is a purple state. That doesn't mean it's a blue state, right? It doesn't mean it's always gonna be voting Democratic. You know, in 2022, there's a backlash against what looks like, you know, President Biden, you know, we could see Republicans, right? Mm -hmm. Making some gains and they were able to still, you know, preserve a majority in the state house. So I think that's important to keep in mind as well. And Republicans will control redistricting. So, Mm -hmm. you know, this is going to be a competitive state for many election cycles to come in my opinion emory university
3: bernard fraga associate professor of political science at emory university and also the author of the book the turnout gap race ethnicity and political inequality in a diversifying america professor as always thank you for taking the time i really appreciate it thank you so much take care that's it for this edition of pro this that's it for this edition of closer Looks. stay tuned to 90.1 wabe atlanta's choice for npr i'm rose scott
2: Sounds Like ATL is a music documentary series that takes an in-depth look at the artists amplifying Atlanta's famed music community. Built around a desire to highlight Atlanta's diverse and world-renowned music scene, each episode features unforgettable, intimate musical performances by fresh new musical guests, each with exclusive interviews about the stories behind their music. Listen to Sounds Like ATL Saturday evenings at 7 on WABE and
4: WABE.org